Our scripture this morning comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through Colossians 4, verse 1. Hear God's word to us. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It was hot. I mean, it was, it was really hot. The uh, thermostat read 110 often, and then there was added humidity. It was my job to be planted right next to the pizza oven, <clears throat> and you would feel this heat kind of barrel out like a desert wind. I was to grab the pizza. I was to cut the pizza. I was to connect the pizza with the particular ticket or receipt and then get it to the person, whether it be dine-in, whether it be buffet, whether it be delivery, right? It's not DiGiorno, right? So it has to go to one of these spots. And when it was busy, I felt absolutely insane. I was the bottleneck for everybody. Now, when it wasn't busy, then we had folks in the back smoking weed. We had someone who consistently stole like our measuring scales for a side hustle they had going on because uh, they thought it did measure, you know, that dime piece, you know, to the, to the point. Now, and, he, and then we had another gentleman who was a colleague of mine who came up and said, hey, I got a great idea. We could use this whole breadstick bag thing. We could roll up some weed. Somebody could call with a special code word, and this could be an amazing funnel. I was like, well, just move to Colorado. Your time will come, right? No. <laughs> No, but so, and so that was, that was the, the culture. Then I had an employer, a boss, who was both rude and irreverent. He cursed out his employees. He underpaid the staff. And then he explicitly communicated his favorites. Now, when you found out you were his favorite, then you became everybody else's least favorite person, right? And the, so it was just a very toxic environment. This was my first job. <laughs> this wasn't here at Christ Community. So we're like, wait a second. <laughs> Tyler, tell us what's really going on. Um, I was 16. It was East of Chicago Pizza. And frankly, it was one of the greatest catalysts for me going to college. Um, I said, I don't want this job. And if I have this job, I want to have the power to change these circumstances. Uh, because this was a really, really rough environment. And, and here's the deal. We've all had this kind of experience, haven't we? You've had a not-so-great, sometimes terrible, sometimes really awful job experience. All of us, to some degree. And even if you have a job you really like, there are moments nearly every week where you think, man, I would rather be doing anything than what I'm doing right now. So what do we do when that's a part of our story? I think it's an important question to be asking. What do you do when you do not want to get ready for Monday? And God's Word, it meets us right here today with some words of hope if we're willing to listen. Now, my name's Gabe Coyle. I'm one of the pastors here, if you're new. And we have been on a journey for about eight weeks, eight weeks, seeking to discover more clearly, more definitively, what it means to be a church for Monday. 
people who follow Jesus in all of life, not just maybe an hour or two, one day a week, but what does it look like to follow Jesus the other 166 hours of the remainder of the week? What does it look like for us to be ready and to follow Jesus all the way into our Monday, this metaphorical rest of life, all right? And as a pastoral staff, we, we scoured the pages of scriptures and we found at least seven marks, Okay, so this is not an exhaustive list. It's not a sequential list that once you check off one, two, three, you can finally move on to four, five, six, and seven. No, no, no. But these are helpful markers that indicate that we're actually walking with Jesus in the path of life. And so by way of review, let's walk through where we have been ever so quickly through the first six marks, okay? So someone who's ready for Monday, we identified, number one, takes up their cross. Self-denial is the starting point of the Christian life. Number two, someone who's ready for Monday puts on the yoke. Number three, builds their life on the Bible. Number four, loves the church. Number five, gives themselves away. Number six, shares the gospel in word and deed And then number seven, where we are today, where we're going to land the plane, someone who's ready for Monday works diligently for the flourishing of all. Now, if Monday is kind of the metaphorical all of life or rest of life, then work is where we spend most of our lives. And I want to be very clear, work is not about whether you're paid or not. The best definitions around work focus in on contribution, not compensation. Not that adequate and appropriate compensation is unimportant. It's extremely important. But when you want to think through what work is, what the work is that God has called you to do, some of the best questions, one of the best questions you can ask to help clarify what that is for you is, where is my area of contribution? And when we seek to follow Jesus in our work, he beckons us to work diligently, to continue at it, right? For the flourishing of all, because here's why. This is so important. He knows your Monday needs you. Your Monday needs you. He has you there on purpose. Your neighbor needs your good work, your contribution, the value that you add. But that's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, some of you feel like maybe you're in a workspace where you're on cloud nine. Some of us even have opportunities some of us, in the unique cultural moment we find ourselves, to change jobs or to find a job that aligns with our passions, what an amazing gift. But what happens, what do we do when your job feels more frustrating than flourishing? What do you do when your job feels more mundane than meaningful, more full of drudgery than delight? I think God wants to expand our perspective when it comes to work, where we spend most of our lives. And whether you've been a part of this conversation at Christ Community for a long time or you're just jumping in and this is your first Sunday, there's something really unique about what we're going to see this morning in our passage. And so I want to offer three insights from what Paul has to say here that really shed some resurrection light in the midst of our everyday, everyday frustrations, okay? Three insights. And it's Frankly, it's found in the one, one of the most surprising of places for me. So let's take a look together. If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3, the letter to the Colossians chapter 3. While you're turning there, if you, if you did look at the very beginning pages of your scriptures of the Bible, you'll find that God creates humankind and he actually gives them very meaningful work to do, good work in a good world. But where we find ourselves today... 
is more often broken work in a broken world. I love the way Greg Forrester, he's a renowned uh, and really thoughtful theologian. He's also the leader of the Aquinemia Network, which is just Greek for economics. Um, he leads this network at, out of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, so my alma mater. And he brilliantly notes this. He says, the world of work is broken, painful, toilsome, and frustrating. We are made for work, but in this fallen world, we must do that work under conditions we were definitely not made for. And this is our world. This is the world that Paul speaks into. He doesn't speak into it with rose-colored glasses. He doesn't come expecting you know, to speak to seemingly perfect people in perfect circumstances. He doesn't wait for all the broken systems that continue to perpetuate injustice to finally be perfectly aligned before he, can, he actually speaks empowerment into people and how the gospel comes to impact us where we are. And so Paul speaks and says there's actually impact that can be taken, impact that can be furthered, empowerment that can be had, even if you are a bond servant or a master. So in a very broken system. Now, two things I want to say before we jump into the context that is our passage here in Colossians chapter 3. First, Paul is not condoning slavery by speaking to bond servants or slaves. If you go to a little often overlooked, I mean, it's so easy to miss, letter to Philemon. It's right after Titus, right before Hebrews. Paul actually speaks to a former slave owner, Philemon, because his former slave Onesimus had ran away. And Paul does this masterful work, leveraging his authority to now create a space for Onesimus, this runaway slave, to act as a free man, a brother to Philemon, his former slave master. Paul leverages authority to impact the systems when the opportunities arise, but he will not, he will not rob the opportunity of the gospel to speak into every circumstance, even if it's broken. So first, Paul's not condoning slavery. And then two, we need to, we need to understand that the slavery in the Roman Empire is different categorically than the slavery we saw in the antebellum period. So the slavery that was invented in the United States coincided also with the philosophical invention of race in order to dehumanize and so subjugate a whole people group based exclusively upon the color of their skin. And Jesus and Paul have gobs of words about how this new forever family should be inclusive and diverse based exclusively on our position according to Jesus rather than the color of our skin or the differentiation of our cultures. And any sort of hierarchical structure outside of that is completely antithetical to the cross, okay? So, with that being said, one thing that we can easily do when we go looking back in history is we can raise our noses and say, look at all this terrible thing, these terrible things these folks did. Aren't we so much better? And circumstances, to some degree, are better. Some. But we're not out of the woods. <laughs> Ever since we turned our backs on God, we have been following in our ancestors' footsteps, consistently turning our backs on one another. And in every work environment that currently exists, we continue to perpetuate selfishness, laziness, and abuse of power. And in the midst of this, broken people lean in to perpetuate and continue to promote broken systems. And in the midst of all of this, Paul believes something truly radical. 
truly radical. And it comes out of his experience. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty astounding. So the, the Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, was Saul. And he had a particular job, right? He hated the church. He thought it was a cult. He thought Jesus was a sham. So he's going to city after city after city, trying to imprison Christians and trying to actually put them to death. He's holding Stephen's clothes. He's so committed to putting Christians to death and ending what he thought was a false movement until he's on the road to Damascus. He's on a work trip. And he comes to what? The resurrected Jesus. He's on a work trip and Jesus stops him in his tracks and says what? I've been watching all of this. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, not just my church. There's this intimacy, this beauty between Jesus and his church that we should never divorce. You can't say you love Jesus and hate the church or you completely miss what Jesus is all about. Side sermon. <laughs> but he stops Paul, Saul, on this, on this work trip and he says, I'm seeing everything that's going down. And at that moment, Paul realizes that Jesus is truly, not only had died on the cross, on a Roman cross, but he was alive and he was actually overseeing and carrying out his mission, was watching what was taking place in the world and continuing his redemptive mission in the world. And with this framework, with his own personal experience, with his deep belief in the resurrection and sovereignty of Jesus over yet over what is continuing to take place, he speaks to this little church in Colossae and he continues to speak to us. And the backdrop behind what he is saying, we find our first insight. And here it is. Number one, your work is seen. Jesus is watching. Do you ever think about that? There's something really powerful about being seen. This is why when my daughter creates something, you know, that has both ponies and various pink colors and a bunch of glue and tape that I don't always know what it's going on there. She brings it to me and she says, Daddy, look at this. Because she wants to be seen. She wants to find affirmation. She wants to, she wants to know that I see the beauty in what she's created. And then simultaneously, when she knows she's breaking a rule in the house and I happen to see her breaking that rule, what's her first response? Don't look at me. There's power in being seen. Power in being seen. When you go about your day, do you think, God sees me? Now, if you have a position of power, this should be very sobering. This is why when you jump down to chapter 4, verse 1, we read, Masters, treat your slaves, your bond servants, justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Hey, look up. If you're in a position of power, if you're an employer, if you have any sort of people underneath you that you actually have an impact on the conditions and the circumstances, their wages, the conditions in which they are working on a day-to-day -day basis, remember, you don't do that in the privacy of your own space, but you have someone who's watching in. Your work is seen. That's sobering. And then the flip side of that is if you often feel overlooked, if you often feel like you are marginalized, if you often feel like you are not seen and you feel like you've been victimized, if you feel like injustice is being per perpetrated against you, then we go to verse 25 of chapter 3. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. Chapter 3 verse 25 comes with unbelievable hope 
for those who often find themselves in the vulnerable position where injustice is perpetuated against them and they have no due recourse to push back. This is a promise that one day, Jesus is watching, one day, no matter how deep those pockets may be or how high up that position may be of the person who's perpetuating injustice or creating an unjust environment for you, Jesus is watching. And justice will be carried out. May we never forget that the reign of Jesus is not relegated to the four walls of the church building, but it bleeds over to oversee for-profit and not-for-profit entities, to, to bleed over to oversee employers and employees. God is watching. God is watching. And for Paul, when he finally understands this and he understands more deeply who Jesus is and how Jesus is actually engaged, it changes the trajectory of his life. And it changes the way, clearly here, the way he sees work and how Jesus is engaged in the work environment that makes up the economic system of the first century in Colossae. What about you? What will change this time tomorrow if you actually believe that God sees all of, all of your life, even your work, what do you think will actually change if you deeply believe that? Not just recognize it, but actually live in light of that. Now, I want to continue to broaden our perspective on work. Let's keep going on. And Paul actually gives us a second insight, and we're going to unpack it here. And number two, not only is your work seen, but your work will be rewarded. Your work will be rewarded. Now, the gospel is opposed to earning. That's an opposition to grace, but it is not opposed to effort. And Jesus is very clear in his parable of the talents, that what you've been entrusted with and how you navigate it will have an impact on your reward. It feels very antithetical. It feels like you want to push back against that, but there is an appropriate sense of celebration over good work well done that Jesus himself highlights, celebrates in the parable of the talents. And Paul does so as well here in chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily. In other words, keep at it. Keep at it heartily. Keep going. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. That happens to be the theme verse for the Marketplace Fellows the key framework in understanding how all work matters to God. And what's so crucial here, one of the biggest takeaways, in other words, is that your pay will not compare with what God has in store for you. Now, I know, listen, 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 listen. That can sound really callous very quickly. Because I know we're in a bunch of different places in this room. Some feel very adequately paid. Some of you are honest, are like, man, I'm getting a little overpaid. Some of you are getting underpaid. And some of you, I know because I'm walking with you through it, are looking for a job just to get paid. So adequate and appropriate compensation are extraordinarily important for the Christian faith in the church community. And if you are an employer in this room and you are a Christian, you should care deeply and should be working actively to appropriately compensate your employees as well as communicate value to them in an, an extended and consistent way that, that appropriately honors the human dignity that they have as image bearers. 
And alongside of that, what we also need to hear so that we don't get so consumed while simultaneously pursuing that, but not get so consumed with materialism, is that actually God has way more in mind than just your pay. Never less, but way more. Such that when you go that extra mile and nobody is paying attention, when you actually do something excellently, when mediocrity would have done just fine, when you extend an act of kindness within your work environment that is actually returned with anger rather than gratitude, God is watching and your reward is sure, even if it doesn't show up in the paycheck that week. That's powerful, isn't it? That's liberating. Never to liberate us from once again pursuing just circumstances and environments where people are appropriately paid. No, 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 no. Don't go down that road. That's completely antithetical to what the gospel calls us to. But it empowers us even beyond that to have a broader and a bigger and a deeper and a richer horizon for what God has in store for his people in light of eternity. That means work tyrants who from the outside looking in look like they've got it all together. They've got amazing wealth. They look like they're... To the reward is kind of a bit of a, an interesting word there because the reward is meaning getting your just, just desserts. The reward of the work tyrant may not be so pretty when those words come from Jesus' lips. But then simultaneously for the overlooked... the underpaid, the overworked. We find unbelievable hope. In the words of Martin Luther King Jr., he says, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. I think one of the greatest hopes we have in our everyday frustrations is that Jesus' words, well done, good and faithful servant, are not relegated to people of a particular position who happen to have a white collar, but also extend to blue collar and pink collar or no collar. That's not relegated to a, a select few occupations that are often considered, quote-unquote, sacred, while the others are secular, just there to support the really good work. No, 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 no. Jesus' well-done-and good-and-faithful servant isn't relegated even to performing perfectly to uncontrollable, already predisposed, perfect outcomes. Jesus' well-done-good-and-faithful servant is offered to anyone and everyone who uses everything they have, every bit of who they are, to do the best they can wherever they are. And that's powerful. This is unbelievably liberating in the first century, and these are the words of liberation that we need in the 21st century afresh. Even if no one sees you, even if no one says thank you, God is watching and his reward is sure. Now think about how this might impact whatever you find yourself doing this time tomorrow. What would actually change if you believed that God holds your reward in his hands? 
Like he's the one who ultimately holds your reward, your eternal reward in his hands. How would that change your demeanor and your posture? How would that impact your metrics and your personal goals? Your work is seen by the one who matters most. Your work will be rewarded. It will not be overlooked. And then Paul, he continues to press us, and we see a third and really important insight, and here it is. Your work is bigger than you. It's bigger than you. Now, our culture says what? Do what you love and make that money, right? Which, hey, if it works out, amen, praise Jesus. There are opportunities in our culture to really maximize that. Swim on, right? Good job. But Jesus is inviting us, something, inviting us to something so much bigger, to a bigger purpose. And <clears throat> it's not found in trying to switch vocations into a particular vocation, but instead in a way that God who became incarnate and dwelt with us in our world actually now extends human dignity right where you are. Whatever job you find yourself, no matter how broken the environment, no matter how messed up the system, God actually comes and he says, you can have dignity right where you are. Not that you don't work to make places more just, more holistic, more thriving for everyone who's engaged, but right where you are, the same God who left heaven, who became human, who incarnated and walked with us, goes right where you are this time tomorrow and says, that has unbelievable value. He's always been a God who meets us where we are. And we see it right here at the end of verse 24. Remember the context, bondservants, masters, not a great system, something we should be working against. Other places Paul does, Paul's not condoning this system in any way, shape, or form. But at the end of verse 24, he says, you, right where you are, are serving the Lord Christ. You know, there was a recent article in Christianity Today if you haven't ever checked out that publication, it's really good in kind of navigating relevant conversations and seeking to being some thoughtful conversation around it. Um, and there was a recent article around the second shift. You know, a lot of people in seeking to understand how faith intersects with the workplace, often we can focus on white collar. And they said, well, actually, maybe Christians should be a lot more, a lot less focused on doing what we love and much more focused on loving for whom we are doing what we're doing. <laughs> it's a slight shift. But when you don't have the power, you don't have the opportunity to transition, does your human dignity constantly wait on the horizon of your future or does it meet you where you are? Paul has a firm belief in the gospel that it meets us right where we are. And he's reminding us who we are working for wherever we find ourselves. And I just want to read, and he does this in Colossians. This is brilliant, right? You are serving the Lord Christ. And he gives us a brilliant picture of who this Lord Christ is in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And I want you to just imagine, this is your ultimate boss. This is the one, no matter where you are, even if the hard work of looking for a job is the work you're doing now. Chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Hear the one whom you're working for, the Lord Christ. He is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven 
and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is holding everything together and he's invited you and I to be his hands and feet. Yeah, but what does Jesus care about what I do? What does Jesus care about my job? I think it's sometimes difficult, especially when a job is painful or frustrating or because you're dealing with broken people or it's just hard work or you don't necessarily believe in the work, is to begin to imagine how on earth you could be serving Jesus in that moment. And so I want to invite us into just a little imaginative exercise, okay? A little imaginative exercise. If you can, if you don't mind closing your eyes for just a second, I want you to imagine what you're going to be, and you're going to maybe hate me for this. Imagine what you're doing this time tomorrow. Think about the various duties and the things that you have to do this time tomorrow. Now imagine no one anywhere did it. And your industry... Your line of work disappeared. No one did it anywhere. Is our community in a better place? Is our city in a better place? Is the world in a more flourishing state? Open your eyes. There's one organization who I think captures and understands this deeply, and they do it in like a 60-second clip. And I know this may sound like anathema to say in Sprint territory, but it's the company Verizon. Um, they, they had a brilliant commercial during the Super Bowl. Um, and some of you may, I'm just going to tell you right now, hold back your jadedness thinking they're only trying to get millennials. Um, that may be true. But even still, they captured their story in about 60 seconds. And I want us to see the brilliant work they've done to tie together this broader web that it takes for a community to flourish. Let's watch. Hi, my name is Anthony Lynn. In 2005, I was in a horrible car accident. I was hit by a car going 50 miles an hour, and I promise you I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the first responders. They told me that I flew 45, 50 feet in the air. The doctor told me, so you're very, you're very lucky. It was a miracle. Hi, Coach. My name is Jim Brittle. It's my partner, Craig Kelly. We're the first two first responders on scene. Coach, my name is Skyla Bosco. I was the paramedic on Medic Engine 1 that evening. I've often thought about, you know, who showed up that night. I never thought I'd see you. I mean, that's it's unbelievable. They said I had to have some angels with me that night to survive. I believe you guys are angels. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Well, the last part, sorry. Um, (laughs) But did you catch what they did there? Brilliant. 
first responder's job is to answer to call. Our job is to make sure they get it. Imagine a world without good cell coverage, without call centers. Not everybody who's in a call center loves being in a call center, right? But imagine a world without a call center who's not making those integral connections to get that call to those first responders. Would that have happened? No. It takes a web of often, sometimes unglorious, often unnoticed work, and sometimes the the jobs that other people don't want but are so necessary, this broader web of a community (coughs) to make good work be done in a community and to be carried out. They understood that their job is bigger than them. And Jesus wants us to deeply understand how our, what we do with the most of our time throughout the week is an expression of our love towards our neighbor and is therefore an expression for our love for him. Because it's for him ultimately. Now let me ask you, what would change this time tomorrow if we actually believed our work was for Jesus? We have this phrase, no more homeless. One would hope. And I would think, we ask this a lot, you know, what if Jesus were to give you your review? We ask that a lot. You know, how, how would he say you're handling the resources you've been entrusted? How would he say your work ethic is? How would he say you care for your children? You care for your clients? You care for your coworkers? You care for your boss? You care for your employees? You care for creation? Your work is seen. Your work will be rewarded, and your work is bigger than you. Now, I want to be very clear. Just understanding, having this broader perspective that your work is seen, will be rewarded, and is bigger than you, it's not going to make this time tomorrow a whole lot easier because broken people are still going to be at your job, including you, and it's still going to be a part of broken systems, and that's all going to be true until Jesus returns. There is no utopia without the king. But you know what will be different? You. We will be different as a church. And our Mondays really need different stories. Stories a lot like Mount Zion Baptist Church that's there on the wall. I don't know if you've seen that one there or not, And since it's going to be going down this week. Mount Zion Baptist Church was a little church community that was founded around the turn of the 20th century. They worked hard to have a faith community that was faithful, engaging their community. Then they worked really hard to save some money and then to take out a loan for the first building that you see behind me. Then the Tulsa massacre took place. And in the midst of all the chaos, the church was set aflame. After the church was set aflame, after all the dust settled, nothing was left but ruins. And so this little church community, you know what they did? They did not give up. They kept working hard. And what they had to do first is work to pay off the debt from the first building that was now in ruins. Then they kept working to save up some more money and then they built a new church. They had a bigger perspective that it wasn't just about them, but they were going to be sending a message. And listen, that church is still there today. Mount Zion Baptist Church. A symbol of resilience of the people of God that in the midst of so much brokenness, the resurrection life that indwells his people cannot be held down. A mark of hope 
And you better believe that Jesus is like warming up the angels in heaven to sing some serious words of affirmation. You better believe that Jesus saw that. He looked down on this faith community that experienced unbelievable atrocity. And you better believe he also saw the ones who burned it down. And those words are going to be extraordinarily heavy the day of judgment. They understood their work was seen. They knew their work would be rewarded. They knew their work was bigger than them, even to outlast them. And that needs to be true of us. A church for Monday. Yeah, when we gather together on Sunday, but also when we scatter throughout our various vocations on Monday. Because listen, your Monday needs you. It needs your story, a different story, a story empowered by Jesus, focused in on Jesus as you follow Jesus. So even, listen, 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 even if you don't want to get ready for Monday, your Monday needs you. And your work is seen, and it will be rewarded, and it's so much bigger than you. So don't give up. May today, with the power of the gospel, may that continue to fuel a deeper zeal wherever God has you for his glory. Let's pray. Let's pray. With your heads bowed, I want you to think. Go back to that. Think about what you're going to be doing this time tomorrow. Where does God have you? What are the joys that he has set up for you in the midst of that work? What are the thorns and thistles and the broken systems and realities of that work? I want to pray a prayer over each of your workplaces and positions and even the journeys toward work for some of you. And it's going to be Paul's prayer out of Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And so from the day... We heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. And to be clear, that includes the work you're doing, not just works you happen to do in your spare time in addition to the work you're doing. That's... Not in the text, that's me. And increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. May it be so. Amen.